0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Well, good afternoon. Welcome on this wet, rainy, quasi-wintry November the 8th, Tuesday Something's going on today. What was it now? Let me think. Pick up the dry cleaning. No, that wasn't it. Um, Get a gallon of milk. No, that was... Oh, Election Day. That's right. In case you hadn't noticed. It rarely gets mentioned of late. (laughs) So I hope you've uh, gone out and exercised your uh, constitutional right and responsibility. Flex that electoral muscle and cast your vote. If not, you have a little... Over, uh, well, what has it been here? I've been doing the quick math. Two hours and 54 minutes. Pardon me, all choked up. Two hours and 53 minutes now to go cast your vote and hope you'll do so. I have to apologize. The heater is now running again for the first time in, what, months, I guess now? And a little tinge of allergy season, and boy, the throat is just not happy. So uh, I'll try not to cough in your ear, okay? And if I do, uh, my apologies. any rate, get out and vote. You've got some time yet to do it. We're um, we're not going to try and speculate. Back in the early days of this program, we would talk about the early returns from other parts of the country, so on and so forth. And we've, we found that most Californians were particularly interested in what was going on here at home. And um, with the slowness of some electoral results coming in, They're trying to catch up on, uh, you know, absentee ballots, mail-in ballots, things of that sort. Uh, We just found that what you announce at 5 o'clock at night could entirely be different by 8 o'clock at night. And so rather than uh, driving you crazy, we're just going to kind of lay low, remind you today is Election Day. And by the time we get up tomorrow morning, we'll find out what happened. We hope with that, we're going to turn to um, other topics of the day. And one of this, quite frankly, one topic we're going to address tonight might even be a a mild motivator, if not a strong motivator for some of you to get out the vote. And that is the proposal that um, came as part of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act Act that uh, somehow was going to reduce inflation by increasing the budget for an organization that we all love and hold dear to our hearts the infernal, uh, Internal Revenue Service. And that, in fact, is exactly what the administration has done, promising to raise another $200 billion in revenue by spending <laughs> $80 billion in the process. Somehow the numbers don't seem to be quite all that logical. But the bigger concern is the way in which this organization has, at various times in its history, been weaponized by political parties to go after people of unlike mind. Will it be any different this time? And when the president promises, don't worry, we're only going after the big guys, do you really think that's true? Well, we're going to explore this tonight as we're joined by... CPA, attorney, best-selling author, syndicated talk show host, Bob Zadek, host of the Bob Zadek Show, heard locally in the greater San Francisco Bay Area in Northern California, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. on 860 a.m. The Answer, our sister station. Bob is the author of a number of best-selling books, including Secret Sauce, the founder's original recipe for limited American democracy. And Bob, as always, a privilege to have you with us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, but can we pick up the pace so I can start watching television and see who won? <laughs> see if I'm going to be swallowing the. Uh-
1: Swallowing a bullet or not? Uh, so pick up the pace, Greg. Let's all right, start. I'll see if we can't kick this puppy into high gear tonight, Bob. Hey, let's <laughs> let's talk about this issue. And some eavesdropping on our conversation might say, "Boy, you guys are both brave." Last week, you raised serious questions about the FBI. Tonight, you've moved on to the IRS. So let's let's talk about this. But all kidding aside, this is not the first time that concerns about hidden agendas, political agendas within the organization have been raised. Folks that have been around for a week or two might remember that um, maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 so years ago, uh, there was a tremendous amount of controversy surrounding a former IRS operative by the name of Lois Lerner, who was essentially picking and choosing which organizations were granted nonprofit status and which were not. And largely, any organization that applied for a 501c3 that might have used the the word liberty, freedom, patriot, language of that sort, uh, anywhere within their application, seemingly were automatically de- denied. And so it isn't the first time that the agency has been used, essentially weaponized, against its political enemies. How are we to believe it's going to be any different? And uh, since you've got some experience in all of this when it comes to uh, to numbers and that sort, does it really make sense you're going to spend $80 billion to get $200 billion? I mean, it, it just for me, the math just doesn't seem to pan out.
2: Well, first of all, Craig, um, you cheered me up in something you said in the intro, but you are wrong. You called this a proposal. I wish that was the case. This is the law. It's no longer a proposal. It's no longer a dream in some progressive politician's mind. It's now the law. So, it's, so. Nobody should be encouraged by your use of the word proposal, but let's get past that to the meat of the matter. First of all, the I, for sure, all of the money is going to be spent. So, now, why is the 80 billion going to be spent? Because the I, the union representing IRS agents and IRS employees is always 100 percent democratic in terms of their voting proclivities and their uh, bodies they they belong to so it is an arm of the democratic party when when biden and the democratic congress say we're giving money to the irs well that's kind of true But it's not going to sit at the IRS very long. It's going to go out to the union members as salaries or as salaries and benefits, which means it's a transfer by the government to the Democratic Party. So, of course, it's going to be spent every penny of it because the Democratic Party wants the money. Now, we have been told by Biden and by by yelling and by others in government, we have been told, don't fret, we're going to go, to go after the rich guys, not the average taxpayer. Well, that cannot be true, and it's also not encouraging. It cannot be true because if they raise the tax rate on the rich guys to something akin to 100% of what they made, so they enslaved them. Therefore, they still will not have anywhere near enough money at that tax rate to make up for the money they're spending, so it's not there. Third of all, why in the world do they want to heavily demonize the most productive segment of our economy? Those people who are rich, after all, for the most part, people who are rich, forgetting about inheritance, but people who are rich got rich by doing one thing and one thing only, giving all the other Americans what they want exactly what they want at the price they're willing to pay for it. If they didn't do that, they wouldn't have gotten rich to begin with. So I have an idea. Let's penalize all the people who give us all the stuff we value so much at exactly the price we want to pay. Let's teach them a lesson. They don't dare do it again by giving us Amazon and giving us a uh, cover and giving us this the iPhone. All of these things for which we now have to punish them because they had the temerity to give us what we want. Lastly, lastly, there is a suggestion by the progressives that we have to go after the rich guys, the one percenters, because they cheat on their taxes. No, they don't cheat on their taxes necessarily, not any more than anybody else. What they do is they, are, they have lawyers who are smart enough to find all the loopholes in the tax law that enable them to lawfully, underline lawfully, save money on their taxes. How Who put those loopholes there? Gee, let's think about that. I know it's Congress. So Congress puts the needle in the haystack or stops the scavenger hunt and said, go rich guys, go find the loopholes, and if you do, you get a reward, lower taxes. So they are doing nothing more than using existing law to their convenience. Just what you and I do, Craig, if we deduct our mortgage interest and deduct charitable contributions, is that a loophole? Or is that taking advantage of a benefit that Congress has given to us? So the whole thing, the whole thing is fake. It's a transfer from a Democratic Congress to the Democratic Party.
1: And, and you know, what's fascinating about this, Bob, as you aptly point out, this notion that somehow there are all of these fat cat rich folks who are cheating on their taxes and depriving the U.S. Treasury of, I don't know, millions, billions of dollars potentially, and and therefore we need to have more agents so we can spend more time going after these people. Well, my first question is, why aren't you doing that already? In other words, if there's so much potential revenue out there that is being hidden from the IRS by people who are engaged in tax cheating, why isn't that already your priority? Well... The reality is and you just pointed to it, we need to number one differentiate between tax evasion versus tax avoidance. Tax evasion gets you a stay in jail. Tax avoidance simply means you you use the IRS tax code in order to pay as little as legally necessary to the IRS, and I would suspect that everybody listening to my voice does just that. I bet if you have a certain income level, you're using the, at least the minimum annual tax deduction. Maybe if you're in a higher tax bracket, you are doing an itemized tax form, and you'll be able to harvest additional tax savings because you're filing a Schedule 3. Maybe you're a sole proprietor, you've got your own business, things of this sort. So we seem to, number one, confuse tax evasion versus tax avoidance. Secondary. And Bob, you've really touched on this. We spend all of this money, and there is this very curious closed loop that the the union that represents the IRS employees in 2022 alone, so the records we have available up through uh, this election cycle, the entirety, 100% of the political contributions made by members of the IRS union 100% went to Democrat candidates. Hmm. Now, normally most organizations say we recognize there's a need to butter our toast on both sides because you never know which side is going to be facing upwards from election cycle to election cycle. So when you see it, pretty consistently going to 100% of just one party, it makes you really wonder what the agenda is. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that very question after we come back from the break. What exactly is the agenda from both the administration as well as the agenda of the organization, pointing back to my earlier comment regarding past history related to people like Lois Lerner. If you've just tuned in, visiting today with CPA attorney, best-selling author, syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek, the topic du jour is the IRS. The Inflation Reduction Act, as Bob correctly points out, did in fact include a provision that provides an additional $80 billion over some time um, to the IRS to hire as many as 87,000. new employees. And if you believe for a moment they're only going to be looking into the tax returns of people earning $2 million or more a year, then I've got some beautiful Bayfront property in Reno, Nevada that I'd like to sell you. We'll take a time out. We'll come back to more of the conversation information on Bob and his show, BobZadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. A time out. Lifeline comes back with more right after this.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: So the IRS, nice big budget boost as part of the Inflation Reduction Act. I'm still trying to figure out the correlation between the two. We're we're trying to get a handle on inflation rates that we haven't seen in the country since the days of Jimmy Carter. And so the answer to reducing the inflation is to have you effectively potentially pay more in income taxes, which may indeed be the result, and certainly for people well below the so-called $2 million a year income benchmark. Bob Zadek is with us tonight. Bob is a attorney by trade, CPA. Best-selling author and syndicated talk show host. He's got the Bob Zadek Show, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. here in the San Francisco Bay Area on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. By the way, all kinds of great resources, information about past broadcasts, podcasts, books, etc. If you go to Bob's website, check it out at bobzadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Bob, of course, it's not the first time that we've seen Washington, D.C., slip something completely unrelated into a bill for a different purpose. This is kind of SOP, Standard Oper- Operating Procedure, for Congress. But I think quite disingenuous that, in one hand, the claim is that the Inflation Reduction Act is going to give a little relief to American citizens, while, on the other hand, the old adage, what the big print giveth, the little print taketh away. And here, the agenda seems to be to taketh away, all right. Uh, the only real winner, potentially, in all of this, as you pointed out just before the break, is the Democrat Party.
2: And, and also, Craig, uh, our listener audience at present is has a substantial representation in California. Of course, you're broadcasting California. Uh, any of your listeners who even pay some attention to the goings-on in Sacramento are aware of the fact that California still has not gotten its arms around and somewhat underreported, no surprise, but monumental scandal involving about forty as I recall tens of billions with a B dollars of fraud perpetrated by those who improperly got unemployment insurance benefits and disability benefits, because California's system was out of control. Now, lest we go overboard in demonizing the upper 1% as let's nail them for stealing, which is the implication of the Democratic Party. So we have 40 or more billion dollars stolen from one state, California, through mistakes and fraud involving unemployment. Does anybody believe that wealthy Americans participated in that fraud? Probably not. It was sort of the people who are given a free pass uh, under this uh, payments to the IRS. In other words, it's the rich people who steal. Well, I'm not suggesting that generalizations are true either way, but I resent the fact that people who are successful are presumed to owe at least part of their success to stealing from the government, when it simply is not the case, and the fact I just presented proves that. Also, also, Underreported but meaningful is the eighty or ninety billion dollars stolen under the carelessly written,
1: carelessly administered PPP fraud. <laughs> I okay. just I just wrote down the latest figures released by the Secret Service. This is how great minds think alike, and the Secret Service is now estimating that PPP fraud may top one hundred billion dollars bob exactly half of what the president claims is going to be recovered by going after all these people that are cheating on their taxes
2: and by the way and by the way there's of all the people who made the headlines when they got caught none of the people where the democrats suggest are the one percenters there are no noticeable one percenters in that group so this concept this concept, which is so destructive of American culture and so destructive of the economic system, is that success equals dishonesty it is so harmful because it discourages success, economic success. And as I said earlier, the, easy, the, the, the most likely way to achieve economic success at least in business, putting aside sports and entertainment, is by providing consumers what they want and exactly what they're willing to pay for it. And to punish that success or to demonize it or even to disrespect it is harmful because it sends out a societal message that that kind of person is unwelcome in America. It is so destructive. And who knows, the next iPhone-type invention, which will not be discovered, because the discoverer, who otherwise would have discovered it, has been discouraged by the way society looks down on that success. It's so harmful
1: to all of us. Yeah, well, it's a major disincentive. Of that, of that, there's absolutely no doubt because who, who wants to be looked at with a jaundice eye if you've been successful at what you do and have the implication made either um, you know quietly or out loud that, well, clearly they wouldn't be successful if somewhere they weren't engaged in cheating. And, you know, I've always wondered, if you read carefully the instructions when you do your 1040 every year, you will see in the midst of the page and pages and pages of instructions. It will ask you, gentle taxpayer, whether or not you've received more than $20 in tip money over the year. If somehow to assume that every single person who files a Form 1040 somehow earns tip money of what they do. But if you do, the IRS wants to know it because that may break or make our budget this year. We want to make sure if you made more than $20 in tips, you made 21 bucks, make sure you report it to the IRS. Now, you know, Bob, I know that there is a difference between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law, but you look at this and wonder to yourself: who really, at the end of the day, does the IRS seem to have its its microscope focused on? And as I mentioned before the break, and I'd love to have you comment on it. Um, you know, if there was a sense that there was this much widespread, obvious, blatant—not tax avoidance, but tax evasion—going on by people who are multimillionaires, then my question is, why isn't the IRS already prioritizing that? Why do they need an additional $80 billion in order to get that job done? Shouldn't they be focused on that very issue, if it indeed is an issue right now as we speak?
2: Well, of course it should be, uh, but it is not because the, the assumption is false. The assumption that that's where all the money is and let's go after it is a false assumption. And the tax system, look what the allocating all this money to 80,000 new revenue agents, look what the government is admitting. They are admitting that the tax system is so complex that we need to spend so much money to enforce it. Mm -hmm. How about this? How about a flat tax? Fire all 80,000 agents and just the tax gets collected automatically or a national sales tax where money gets collected automatically. I've never had my sales tax payments audited. As for my life. I pay sales tax when I buy something. And this requires no audit, no overhead at all. But the reason we have an Internal Revenue Code is so now politicians have a way to reward their friends. They can bury the gifts in a complex tax law, and they can reward friends. It's nothing other than a wealth transfer from the government to the wealthy,
1: through tax loopholes well, moreover the also the part of this and i 'm and I'm glad you bring that point about flat tax i 've often argued that uh, you could shut down the entire agency and look how many billions you could save if you just simplified all of this if i 'm not mistaken and, and i, I didn 't have a chance to look this up, so I, I may be making this up out of full cloth. I in, encourage you to check me out here, but I believe. In the early days of the income tax code, which takes us back over 100 years now, 1913, I think, um, the, the tax return that you fill out today, that's multiple pages on a 1040, was a postcard. And on the top line, you put your income, and then you took 4% of that number, and on the bottom line, you put what that total was, you sent the postcard and the check into the IRS, and your job was done. I also find it quite interesting, and perhaps our guest tonight, Bob Zeta, can comment on this when we return after a brief time out. And that is, don't you find it interesting that whenever there's a discussion related to economics and money in Washington, D.C., rarely is the answer, well, clearly we're spending too much. No, the answer is always, we're just not bringing enough money in. I guess if we ran our average household your family budget my family budget on the same principles that washington dc runs its own budget we'd all know what american bankruptcy feels like wouldn't we bob zadek with us tonight nationally syndicated talk show host Attorney, CPA, best-selling author. His show, The Bob Zadek Show, heard Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock on 860 AM, The Answer, here locally in the San Francisco Bay Area. Details on the web at bobzadek.com. We take this time out back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: So when the 16th Amendment was indeed passed by Congress, just to uh, uh, clarify the record here, the, the the bottom tax rate was 1%. That was for people that had a annual income of $3,000 or more per year. Seems like a paltry number today, but things were cheaper back then. And the top rate, the maximum top rate, was only 6% and could be filed on a postcard. It's gotten mildly more complicated since then which is maybe a good argument why this organization probably needs to be sunsetted and instead of doing that we're spending more money to give it more power therein lies the real concern here. We're visiting today with syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek about this very topic and and Bob as I mentioned you know the, just from the, the efficiency standpoint alone it's problematic and I know that the whole idea of returning to a flat rate has been floated before. Is that something that could ever be a possibility, or has this organization become so self-sustaining in the sense that uh, you could never get Congress to agree?
2: Well, that's hard. There was a movement. There were two movements. Rand Paul, for a while, was advocating um, a. A flat tax or a tax like that Or a value-added tax or a sales tax Some tax that self-administered Required no enforcement division And also Steve Forbes When he went back Going back to the 1980s He had a run um, He uh, tried to be in the Republican primary And his platform included um, Getting rid of the whole Internal Revenue Code So there were beliefs brief flurries of that, but nothing that went very far. But with the Internal Revenue Code, the problem with the complexity is you have tens of thousands of fairly well-paid individuals designed to enforce the law, or paid to enforce the law, and you have an equal number of accountants and attorneys and other professionals designed to off the IRS. So you have just the economy paying, so, having so much money, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars being spent on one powerful group, finding another powerful group, that the, all that money is spent to get back to zero, with no benefit to you and I. So it's nonsense. It's like paying a bunch of people to, put, to dig a hole and an equal number of people to fill it in. They both have earned a salary, but the economy is no better off. Plus the fact it's a place, as I said, for politicians to reward their friends. It is corrupt to the core, including the enforcement and the drafting of the tax law. And it's... It, presents a cancer to society. It makes everybody into a tax cheat, putting aside the fact, putting aside the fact that when you have tax, high tax rates, people make decisions In part, based upon the tax effect, which means you buy a home rather than rent. Of course, uh, with a a home, you get a mortgage interest deduction with a renting, you don't. So people make decisions not based upon the simple, simple economic merits. But they make decisions based upon that tax effect, which presents a distortion to the economy. People spend their money not in an efficient way, but in a tax-efficient way, which means the marketplace doesn't get to use its invisible hand to help us make economic decisions. There is so much bad to be said about our system. It's not an accident, Craig, and you were exactly right. 1913, 16th Amendment, you're exactly right right. It took a constitutional amendment to make internal revenue, to make an income tax constitutional. The founders knew it was bad and prohibited it in the Constitution in 1787. And I have a premise. My premise about the Constitution is putting aside the first ten amendments to Bill of Rights. I have, Many more of the amendments done by amateur politicians made the Constitution, drafted by political geniuses, made that Constitution worse. I presume any amendment to the Constitution, putting aside the 1st amendment amendments and, of course, the civil war amendments, putting those aside, and putting aside women's suffrage, putting aside those amendments... Most of the other amendments made it worse because the founders knew better. And it's no accident, they feared, for all the reasons we've discussed on this show, a direct tax on income. And remember, Craig, a principle of taxation is, the more you tax an activity, the less you get of it. What is the benefit of taxing income? So that people work less? Is that we? Is that the message we want to give? It makes no sense.
1: And the fact that there is never seemingly, and quite frankly, all fairness, this is really aimed at both parties. Never seemingly any sort of solid discussion about. What we need to do to rein in our spending, to be more accountable in that degree, it's always the opposite. You know, if we spend $10 million, we need to bring in 12. It's never an issue of overspending. It's always an issue of what we're just under accumulating. What about that issue?
2: It's exact. you're exactly right, and spending is, of course, the focus, but both parties love to spend. They only disagree on which of their favorite recipients they're going to give the money to by the spending. But both parties are addicted to spending because it's a way they can buy favor with the voting public. So spending is is the coin of the realm. That's the way they if you will, buy votes, not in the criminal sense, but in the political sense. And they need the money to buy the votes with, so it's the income tax. And then, and the last comment is, Craig is gonna run out of time, but there was a a quote, I think it was Ron Wyden, who said, now we have the money to go after the tax cheats. And Craig, if you unpackage that sentence by Senator Wyden from Oregon, You don't know who a tax cheat is until you finish the process. So the fact that you choose somebody to investigate means you think he's a cheat because he's rich. But you don't know he's a cheat. We're not talking about investigating people where there is evidence. You don't need more agents to do that because you already have the evidence. But it's only that you suspect they're a cheat. Why? Because they're rich. Therefore, they are presumed to be a cheat. That statement by Senator Wyden is the most telling of all. We're using it to go after the cheats. You have no idea who the cheats are till after you investigate them, not before. Well, the
1: the other issue at hand here, which is really a companion observation, and that is, recall maybe a year ago there was spirit <coughs> reporting of the of the banks. To the IRS, pardon me, of every single transaction over, I think the, I think the baseline was two hundred dollars, something, something ridiculous, it, it, so that the IRS had access to all of this information. Now, who do you think they're going after, if they? incorporate a requirement that every single bank in the country report your expenditures, your transfers, your deposits, your checks, your debit card purchases or expenditures of $200 or more. I mean, what it would take to even analyze all that information would be absolutely phenomenal and outrageously expensive. And at the end of the day, does that really tell you who they're really after, who they're really interested in? i tell you this, it's not the rich folk, that's for sure. Bob Zadek unpacks these and a similar issues on his program Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock on 8:60 a.m. The Answer. We invite you to check out the Bob Zadek show. Do so online as well at bobzadek.com. B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Robert, is always, a privilege to have you with us. There's Bob Zadek.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, a
1: quick reminder here: you've got, uh, let's see, as the crow flies, two hours and seven minutes before the polls close here in California. So, hope you're going to uh, do your thing and exercise your political muscle and constitutional obligation and rights. I believe I, I, that's my viewpoint on the obligation part, but nevertheless, hope you'll do your thing and get out the vote. Well. With Election Day here, um, it always, as we've been debating what's been going on in the nation for, low these many years now, uh, once again reminds us, um, democracy is extremely fragile. It is something that needs to be cared for, and we need to be good care- caretakers of democracy, not just at the ballot box, but in terms of also defending our constitutional rights. And, you know, uh, we're living in a day and an age when the fragility of same is on an ever increasing. Basis, which is why organizations like Pacific Justice Institute are becoming increasingly more important. There used to be a day when you could publicly state your beliefs, stand up for your positions, be open about your faith, and uh, nary an individual would criticize you or threaten you or threaten your job or your livelihood, or your family. And today, uh, today it seems to be a reoccurring occasion and growing parts of the country. Brad Dacus joins us now, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Brad, let me say, um, first off, congratulations. I understand that the PJI has now opened your second Pacific uh, Northwest office in Washington State.
3: Uh, That's right. Uh, You know, Craig, we have so many cases uh, taking place in Oregon and Washington State. So we already have an office in Oregon. We have an office already in Washington State. Well, now we just opened our second Office there in Washington State because uh, just the, our desire is to make sure that everyone gets help and no one's left on the side of the road. Well, that means we had to open another another office and hire another attorney, and we're very very excited about uh, this addition and. And what we're going to be able to do up there for the people in Washington
1: State. You look back over your years since founding uh, this organization, and I recall a conversation over lunch with you and uh, my my late friend, colleague, and producer Bob Carlson. I think it was at Chili's Restaurant (laughs) many, many years ago um, when you were with another organization and contemplating all of this and thinking, you know, uh, maybe California is heading in a direction where sadly It needs um, an organization of this sort based right here in California. And as you look back, as you reflect back over those, what, more than 20, 25 years now, I guess, maybe even closer to 30 years. We're all getting that age, I guess, uh, Brad. uh, Is it troubling to you to look at this this increased need? I mean, I hate to say it, but yours is an organization we'd like to see driven out of business because there's no need for you.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, there's definitely an increase in the the issues we're dealing with now involving religious freedom, parents' rights, and the sanctity of human life are are larger than ever. And uh, we're engaging in uh, so many cases. We have right now over 115 cases in uh, active litigation. Just one case alone, a class action against the city of San Francisco, is involving more than 1,000 plaintiffs, employees of, of faith who lost their jobs because of their faith convictions so we're that's just one case so we uh, have 115 cases and plus and uh, we're the cases are growing and it's exciting to do all be, be there to help people
1: completely without charge. Well, I know certainly at the end of the day, what you do is great and important and and, and vital and and necessary. Um, and and thank goodness that Pacific Justice Institute does exist and provide all of its services to plaintiffs to those that are uh, uh, you know dealing with uh, challenges to their constitutional rights and freedoms uh, completely pro bono. That's uh, legalese speak for they don't charge you anything. Uh, but it's sad because it really is. Becomes sort of a barometer of the state of the times in which we live, hasn't it? When you when you look at the number of cases that you're having to deal with and when you open an, a new office in Washington State, it's not like, hey, we're expanding our, our restaurant chain so we can provide more food. It really becomes indicative of the growing need, which means the growing problem, which means all the more the reason why people need to stand with what you're doing.
3: Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. We, we never open an office for a show. Um, or just have another dot on the map <laughs> that's uh, so we open them in response to the needs and just the, the practical necessity of having an office there uh, versus flying in and uh, you know uh, continually so uh, we're uh, we're, uh, we're excited about what, what lies ahead you know this election that's going on is going to come it's going to go uh, but the needs and the growing challenges in America are still going to be there uh, no matter what the results and uh, that's why it's so important that we, we're doing what we're doing. We have offices now in 20 states, coast to coast, and uh, we're excited about uh, the possibilities with our Supreme Court that we have and uh, federal judges that were appointed uh, by the prior administration that we'll have the ability to see a lot of victories and uh, in some very major cases dealing with these fundamental freedoms.
1: Twenty states now, you indicate. Wow, and and I can say, gee, I remember when you were still thinking, should I do this? <laughs>
3: right, I did. I, I asked you that question, um, and I didn't even want to change the organization I was with was was shutting shut down their Western Regional Office while I was coordinating litigation in fourteen states, especially California. Um, so you know, I if, I was going to get teams out here, uh, particularly in California. It was. Only one way, and that was to start another organization. And uh, God, in His grace, and people like you, uh, made it happen. And uh, now it's, it's exciting to see what, what uh, is uh, lies ahead in the future well, as we uh, play such a pivotal role in uh, protecting our freedoms.
1: And God. Thank, thank God that you were you were obedient uh, to that still small voice, because uh, the world would be a far sadder place without your work. And the boy that. Little tickle back there, just right in the back. Hats off to you, Brad. Congratulations on the new office in Washington State. And we encourage folks during the giving season to think about Pacific Justice Institute. Information online about what they do and why they're important at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Six o'clock from KFAX. We'll take a time out. I'm going to go take a cough drop, and we'll be back with more as Lifeline continues